Human Nature and Conduct by John Dewey, Part 3, Section 2. The Psychology of Thinking, The Trinity of Intellect, Conscience, and Its Alleged Separate Subject Matter. This LibriVox recording, read by William Jones, is in the public domain. We are going far afield from any direct moral issue. But the problem of the place of knowledge and judgment in conduct depends upon getting the fundamental psychology of thought straightened out. So, the excursion must be continued. We compare life to a traveler faring forth. We may consider him first at a moment where his activity is confident, straightforward, and organized. He marches on, giving no direct attention to his path, nor thinking of his destination. Abruptly he is pulled up, arrested. Something is going wrong in his activity. From the standpoint of an onlooker, he has met an obstacle which must be overcome before his behavior can be unified into a successful ongoing. From his own viewpoint, there is shock, confusion, perturbation, and uncertainty. For the moment he doesn't know what hit him, as we say, nor where he is going. But a new impulse is stirred, which becomes the starting point of an investigation, a looking into things, a trying to see them, to find out what is going on. Habits, which are interfered with, begin to get a new direction as they cluster about the impulse to look and see. The blocked habits of locomotion give him a sense of where he was going, of what he had set out to do, and of the ground already traversed. As he looks, he sees definite things which are not just things at large, but which are related to his course of action. The momentum of the activity entered upon persists as a sense of direction, of aim. It is an anticipatory project. In short, he recollects, observes, and plans. The trinity of these forecasts, perceptions, and remembrances form a subject matter of discriminated and identified objects. These objects represent habits turned inside out. They exhibit both the onward tendency of habit and the objective conditions which have been incorporated within it. Sensations in immediate consciousness are elements of action dislocated through the shock of interruption. They never, however, completely monopolize the scene, for there is a body of residual, undisturbed habits which is reflected in remembered and perceived objects having a meaning. Thus, out of shock and puzzlement, there gradually emerges a figured framework of objects, past, present, and future. These shade off variously into a vast prenumbra of vague, unfigured things, a setting which is taken for granted and not at all explicitly presented. 
the complexity of the figured scene in its scope and refinement of contents depends wholly upon prior habits and their organization the reason a baby can know little and an experienced adult know much when confronting the same things is not because the latter has a mind which the former has not but because one has already formed habits which the other has still to acquire the scientific man and the philosopher like the carpenter the physician and politician know with their habits not with their consciousness the latter is eventual not a source its occurrence marks a peculiarly delicate connection between highly organized habits and unorganized impulses its contents or objects observed recollected projected and generalized into principles represent the incorporated material of habits coming to the surface because habits are disintegrating at the touch of conflicting impulses but they also gather themselves together to comprehend impulse and make it effective this account is more or less strange as psychology but certain aspects of it are commonplaces in a static logical formulation it is for example almost a truism that knowledge is both synthetic and analytic a set of discriminated elements connected by relations this combination of opposite factors of unity and difference and elements and relations has been a standing paradox and mystery of the theory of knowledge it will remain so until we connect the theory of knowledge with an empirically verifiable theory of behavior the steps of this connection have been sketched and we may enumerate them we know at such times as habits are impeded when a conflict is set up in which impulse is released so far as this impulse sets up a definite forward tendency it constitutes the forward prospective character of knowledge in this phase unity or synthesis is found we are striving to unify our responses to achieve a consistent environment which will restore unity of conduct unity and relations are prospective they mark out lines converging to a focus they are ideal but what we know the objects that present themselves with definiteness and assurance are retrospective they are the conditions which have been mastered and incorporated in the past they are elements discriminated and analytic just because old habits so far as they are checked are also broken into objects which define the obstruction of ongoing activity they are real not ideal unity is something sought split or division is something given at hand were we to carry the same psychology into detail 
we should come upon the explanation of perceived particulars and conceived universals of the relation of discovery and proof induction and deduction the discrete and the continuous anything approaching an adequate discussion is too technical to be here in place but the main point however technical and abstract it may be in statement is of far-reaching importance for everything concerned with moral beliefs conscience and judgments of right and wrong the most general if vaguest issue concerns the nature of the organ of moral knowledge as long as knowledge in general is thought to be the work of a special agent whether soul consciousness intellect or a knower in general there is a logical propulsion toward postulating a special agent for knowledge of moral distinctions consciousness and conscience have more than a verbal connection if the former is something in itself a seat or power which antecedes intellectual functions why should not the latter be also a unique faculty with its own separate jurisdiction if reason in general is independent of empirically verifiable realities of human nature such as instincts and organized habits then why should there not also exist a moral or practical reason independent of natural operations on the other hand if it is recognized that knowing is carried on through the medium of natural factors the assumption of special agencies for moral knowing becomes outlawed and incredible now the matter of the existence or non-existence of such special agencies is no technically remote matter the belief in a separate organ involves belief in a separate and independent subject matter the question fundamentally at issue is nothing more or less than whether moral values regulations principles and objects form a separate and independent domain or whether they are part and parcel of a normal development of a life process these considerations explain why the denial of a separate organ of knowledge of a separate intellect or impulse toward knowing is not the willful philistinism it is sometimes alleged to be there is of course a sense in which there is a distinctive impulse or rather habitual disposition to know but in the same sense there is an impulse to aviate to run a typewriter or write stories for magazines some activities result in knowledge others result in these other things the result may be so important as to induce distinctive attention to the activities in order to foster them from an incident almost a by-product attainment of truth physical social and moral may become the leading characteristic of some activities under such circumstances they become transformed knowing is in a distinctive activity with its own ends 
and its peculiarly adapted processes all this is a matter of course having hit upon knowledge accidentally as it were and the product being liked and its importance noted knowledge getting becomes on occasion a definite occupation and education confirms the disposition as it may confirm that of a musician or carpenter or tennis player but there is no more an original separate impulse or power in one case than in the other every habit is impulsive that is projective and urgent and the habit of knowing is no exception the reason for insisting on this fact is not failure to appreciate the distinctive value of knowledge when once it comes into existence this value is so immense it may be called unique the aim of the discussion is not to subordinate knowing to some hard prosaic utilitarian end the reason for insistence upon the derivative position of knowing in activity roots in a sense for fact and in a realization that the doctrine of a separate original power and impulse of knowledge cuts knowledge off from other phases of human nature and results in its non-natural treatment the isolation of intellectual disposition from concrete empirical facts of biological impulse and habit formation entails a denial of the continuity of mind with nature aristotle asserted that the faculty of pure knowing enters a man from without as through a door many since his day have asserted that knowing and doing have no intrinsic connection with one another reason is asserted to have no responsibility to experience conscience is said to be a sublime oracle independent of education and social influences all of these views follow naturally from a failure to recognize that all-knowing judgment and belief represent an acquired result of the workings of natural impulses in connection with environment upon the ethical side as has been intimated the matter at issue concerns the nature of conscience conscience has been asserted by orthodox moralists to be unique in origin and subject matter the same view is embodied by implication in all those popular methods of moral training which attempt to fix rigid authoritative notions of right and wrong by disconnecting moral judgments from the aids and tests which are used in other forms of knowledge thus it has been asserted that conscience is an original faculty of illumination which if it has not been dimmed by indulgence in sin shines upon moral truths and objects and reveals them without effort for precisely what they are those who hold this view differ enormously amongst themselves as to the nature of the objects of conscience some hold them to be general principles others individual acts others the order of worth among motives others the sense of duty in general 
and others the unqualified authority of right. Still others carry the implied logic of authority to conclusion and identify knowledge of moral truths with a divine supernatural revelation of a code of commandments. But among these diversities there is agreement about one fundamental. There must be a separate non-natural faculty of moral knowledge because the things to be known, the matters of right and wrong, good and evil, obligation and responsibility, form a separate domain, separate, that is, from that of ordinary action in its usual human and social significance. The latter activities may be prudential, political, scientific, or economic. But from the standpoint of these theories, they have no moral meaning until they are brought under the purview of this separate, unique department of our nature. It thus turns out that the so-called intuitional theories of moral knowledge concentrate in themselves all the ideas which are subject to criticism in these pages, namely the assertion that morality is distinct in origin, working, and destiny from the natural structure and career of human nature. This fact is the excuse, if excuse be desired, for a seemingly technical excursion that links intellectual activity with the conjoint operation of habit and impulse. End of Part 3, Section 2, The Psychology of Thinking Read by William Jones